0: Our heart sponsor for today is the 501c3 nonprofit National Treasures Artists in Residence. We are supporting them by offering an audience requested masterclass on business plan writing. Over 30 days you will receive daily emails with microtasks broken down over the month that will give you a complete plan. This will help you assemble your ideas, communicate your concept to others, and raise capital. Participants will be eligible for prizes that will help you polish your plan to optimize success. Visit AchievePodcast.com forward slash plans with an S to register. Our mind sponsor for today is Modern Career. The Modern Career podcast, coaching, and workshops enable you to navigate your career in an ever-changing world and help you live your full potential. Mary Humiston, a former chief human resource officer of Rolls-Royce, shares insider tips, including insights from leaders and executives from all over the world. Leverage their expertise. They can help you build resilience, overcome obstacles, and feel more fulfilled every day. Visit modern-career.com right now to schedule a session with one of their experienced coaches, and if you use code ACHIEVE20, you'll get 20% off. On this episode, we have Barbara Ligeti. Barbara was born and raised in New York. She developed a fondness for dance at a young age. She attended Columbia University and entered the world of live performance and film production early in her career. She has always been drawn to wellness modalities, including adopting Pilates, yoga, and meditation practices. She launched a career as a book coach, assisting clients in getting their works published. She's also been a producer of a number of one-man shows. A partner in her launched a writing program called Shift Poetry, designed to support wellness through the process of writing. They recently released their second book called Poetry Without Pants,
1: written when nobody's looking. Barbara, thank you so much for being on our show.
2: Thank you so much for having me on the show, Asim. I'm um, honored and excited.
1: I'm really excited about this. Been looking forward to it for some time. Um, you've won, you, you've, you've ha- had, I should say, uh, just about every role imaginable in the uh, performance and production space. And so, um, and, I, and I think that um, your daughter, 12 year old daughter, Lucy highlights this well when she says you've done everything and I concur. So I've been looking okay. forward to this, but let's start in the very beginning. You were born in New York?
2: Yes, I was born in New York City. I'm the first person on either bloodline to have been born in the United States. Wow. And, um, and uh, you know, I grew up in New York City and, you know, proud to be a somehow, I think, former or part time New Yorker now.
1: That's right. You're bi coastal, we could say. Yes, I, I <laughs> yeah, am. Yeah. And um, you have Hungarian roots.
2: Yeah, on my father's side, it's Austro-Hungarian-Jewish, but a strong emphasis on Hungarian. And when I was 19, I married a Hungarian, and that filled in any holes because he was 100% Hungarian. And uh, on my mother's side, I'm a collision in cultures. Her father was um, uh, uh, English-Jewish, and her mother was South American, largely with um, Native blood, with South American Indian blood. Chibcha, I think, was the tribe, so very exotic. (laughs) That's fantastic. My mom and dad came to New York to be educated. My mother was a pianist attending the Manus School of Music, and my father came a little younger, but he ultimately had an elegant education in engineering and uh, design. He ultimately ended up at Pratt Institute. Sure. And uh, along with Martin Landau and other stellar people who, you know, who knew, but uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway. Well, I know that uh, dance was a, a passion of yours, is a passion of yours. Uh, when, when did that start? Did that start when you were young?
2: It, very. Um, there's an anecdote about a friend who observed, she was a stage mother who had lots of kids who were already in show business by the age of five. And she observed that a five-year-old Barbara was cute and graceful and lively and shy. I didn't speak a lot. So she said to my mother, get her tap shoes. She can make money, which I did. But also um, my mother and father saw that, you know, the concept of acting out, I was shy. But when I got in those shoes and I got on stage, I was very expressive and it helped me slowly to unfold and come out of my shell. I was quite shy.
1: Wow, that's phenomenal. That's great. Barbara, do you have siblings?
2: I have a younger sister. She's three or so years younger. And um, we have a very musical family. My mm. mother was a pianist. My father, though he was an artist, avocationally was a crooner like, you know, Frank Sinatra. And oh, yeah. uh, my sister studied opera and she made an incredible life. She's recently retired and I think regretting retirement, but she made a wonderful <laughs> life as a music educator. She, I have to give a plug. She created something in New York called the Elaine Kaufman Cultural Center
1: okay.
2: and which houses Merkin Hall. There's a 500-seat concert hall which is internationally renowned and three music schools under one roof and so that's my mm. little sister Lydia. Yes, wow. Lydia Santos.
1: That's fantastic. Uh, what achievements uh, from all members of the family. Um, you studied at Columbia.
2: Yes, um, I had started elsewhere, but then I finished up at Columbia University and went back there to Columbia Teachers College because in recent years, the Teachers College has become very progressive about wellness and the human condition. So I think the most valuable credentials I have are in that incarnation. I was in their first internal and external coaching program. Um, where there were 26 of us. And I was advised that 25 high quality people with PhDs, you know, high flying HR people, they all coached with their minds. And there was one person in the room who coached with her heart. (laughs) And then as an aside, one of my professors said, you have the brain terrain of mother Teresa. Do you get by? Okay. Anyway, I like to tell that story, but I also, I also, um, studied nutrition, a very progressive nutrition program at Columbia teachers college. So I advocate a look if you're interested in the human condition and taking your considerable academic skills, marrying with that particular world, check out Columbia across the board.
1: Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, um, this comment made by your professor makes me think of the uh, picture you have on the wall behind you, which is, uh, has the word ego on it. And uh, I know what that means for you. And I'd love for you to share with our audience, the significance of that.
2: Well, I am one half of a team that created a um, viable, uh technology and enterprise, ever-growing, which is, I guess, why I'm on this podcast now, called Shift Poetry. If poetry is writing without rules, a definition borrowed from one of our poet laureates, Stacey K. Smith, 22nd American Poet Laureate, uh, one of her mandates is democratizing writing, in particular, democratizing poetry. So if, if poetry is writing without rules, shift poetry is writing without rules to get to a better place mm. and how that is achieved is um, no precognitive no cerebrating, just a pen and paper an open heart and imagination and we say leave your ego at the door nice. leave it home. and this little graphic behind me was done by a, um, a young graphic artist and if you look closely at it There's an L and a T on the either side of the E. So what this says is let go ego. And so one of our two mantra in shift poetry is let go ego. Write from the heart without ego, and you will write purely, and you might surprise yourself because the ego is not just about puffery, but it's about editing yourself to look good in the marketplace. So if you write something freely, and then you say, "Mm," I might have changed that phrase to be a bit more artful or a bit more high-minded then you're going away from the pure statement that's right and and we do say in shift poetry no judgment and we give no critique we just thank people for writing and sharing and then my partner Howard says uh, we're all perfectly imperfect so anything you write is perfect
1: that's beautiful. Well, I love that. Well, I love the um, uh, how you, you write from the heart and you encourage others to write from the heart and you coached from the heart.
2: I hadn't really thought about that. You know, in fact, during this pandemic, two things that have really saved me are my own practice of writing freely. It's mm-hmm. been monumental. Also, embracing growing shift poetry on Zoom. <laughs> I like to think we were one of the first um, Hollywood Squares classes in right. this new new world, um, which I'll tell you about in a moment, but also I have two doggies and they've really, when I was truly having to quarantine from my family and loved ones, those little doggies kept me going.
1: No, of course. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I've had um, six friends who have uh, contracted coronavirus, you being one of them. And so um, share with us that experience. Um, I know you're very uncomfortable for, uh, Quite a while.
2: Well, basically, in February, I attended something called the Hoffman Institute in Connecticut and had a remarkable experience and shared shift poetry there. It was a really replete experience working on myself and sharing with people who are now friends forever. And uh, a couple of people were sniffing around, but we had no clue. And then I went to New York to a place called the Ohm Center uh where howard kern and i presented a full-blown shift poetry uh workshop and there was somebody s- sneezing a bit then and right after we presented a couple of new york's one-on-ones and the workshop the word was out mm. and we got on a plane scurried back to new york and all of a sudden i couldn't taste anything oh, i was very tired And my partner will tell his own story, you know, he got a raging fever. I never had those symptoms, but he got a raging fever and lost 19 pounds in 10 days, which he wanted to lose. So he thought it was a good thing. But um, even now my taste buds and my sense of smell are not perfect. And, um, you know, I I, I imagine at times that I feel a little low key. I might just be crestfallen because these are weird times. But but anyway, I, I have antibodies. Uh, we donate plasma, both of us, to the Red Cross, and, um, on, and and I, I just went for a checkup yesterday with the doctor, and she said, we don't know for sure that we can't get it again, although that's unlikely, but we don't know for sure whether or not we can communicate it, so we just have to be t- just so careful.
1: Yes. Yeah, no. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing about that, oh, yeah. uh, Barbara. Uh, I'd like to go back to um, your post-college years, and um, and again, I just I marvel at how you've literally had every role: uh, writer, producer, director, uh, in, in performances, productions. Share with us about that aspect of your life.
2: Well, um, I started as a performer, yeah. doing the dancing, morphed into acting. I um, was led to the actor's studio by a friend who's now famous, but I was in a world of really um, rich, dramatic intellect and, um, and some fancy people, you know? I, I actually studied acting with Shelley Winters, but I'll tell you, um, I decided early on that what I wanted to do with my life is to breathe life into important words. So it was about the word from the beginning as an right. actor, Brilliant. I was, you know, delivering what I thought were important words. Anyway, I realized that that wasn't a great way to make a living. And I did a reading with an unknown actress um, about Texas bitchy girls. And at the end of the reading, uh, I said, you know, that girl was really good, but when you hire a Texas bitch, you get a Texas bitch. And they said, oh no, she's from New Jersey. She's at Yale Drama, and her name is Meryl Streep. Oh. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I can't do that, you know. So I I, uh, I like oh. to say I fell off the stage into the office mm-hmm. and I worked for various producers, reading scripts and vetting projects and really steeping myself. There's nothing I wouldn't do. Um, and, and I knew some celebrities, so producers would hire me to bring celebrities in for you know, possible casting, also for fundraising. I have a huge social change spine, but I come from a certain era. I'm a baby of the sixties, a real child of the seventies. And, um, you know, helping Vietnam veterans, helping women in need, uh, that's been a mandate for me. And by the way, always helping them to express themselves. But I found that if I knew two celebrities uh, and they stood in front of a benefit people would come pay a lot of money and help causes. So that's a big yeah. one for me.
1: No, that's fantastic. Barbara, I know that uh, wellness has also been a very important theme in your life. You've um, been steeped in, in teaching practices of yoga, Pilates, meditation. When did that spark first uh, come to you?
2: Well, my life, and I tell a lot of kids, whatever your education, whatever your cultural background, be very open because the universe will tell you things and will take you places. So uh, as a dancer, yoga and Pilates would do rigor. So Pilates was restorative. It's really an exercise program. People who say that it's about spirituality have no clue. <laughs> I never knew Joseph Pilates, but his muse Romana Krasinoska says, Right? it was in with the air, out with the air. You know, nothing spiritual, right? But anyway, so that was all de rigueur physical stuff, you know, and yogic, mind, body. But also, I had an uncle who had cancer and he um, was had chronic pain. And he went up to Boston from New York to a center created by a man named John Cabot Zinn. John Cabot Zinn and his wife were both medical professionals back in the day. I'm sure he's in his mid 70s now. He went to the Far East, he went across the board and he discovered mindfulness, which I like to think was um, labeled by Thich Nhat Hanh, who remains to this day the teacher I adore and whom I had audience with. So he's really been, for me personally, but in the universe, remarkable. Anyway, so John came back to America with that term mindfulness and started a mindfulness clinic. And my uncle went up and amazingly, through meditation, mindful practices, his pain went away, and he <clears throat> had dramatic remission in his wow. cancer. We can't say that will happen, sure. but, um, but it can. I'm going to share a current anecdote. Uh, we're clustering people in a special shift poetry program for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, October. Oh, yeah. And then in November for um, Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. And one of our, from the beginning, die-hard shift poets um, wrote a poem about her own journey with breast cancer, which was considerable and throughout her family. And at the end of her piece, she acknowledged that if you deflect neg- negativism, if you embrace positivity, you have a chance at being healthier. You know, it's. If a runner runs well, oh. endorphins raise. If a meditator oh. meditates well, endorphins raise. Dopamine kicks in. You know, so it's physiologically. I'm not a doctor, but it's physiologically powerful. So, but, so my uncle got involved with meditation, and I did too. And you know, I was a little bit of a hippie, and I've always been, a, I've always been chatty if shy, and so people would say, "You can slow down." with a mantra actually one of one of my teachers teased me to death i don't back in the day of tm and mantra sure this gentleman gave me a mantra which was ring and if you say ring bo ring bo ring boring enough right <laughs> he said so take it seriously but anyway that's my story so that and then um, you know my cultural background the Eastern European, you know, the old ladies. I was blessed to have many old ladies alive as I was growing up, and they had these home remedies. And some of them were really remarkable. And to this day, if I feel a cold coming on, I take lemon juice, tubalo honey, cayenne pepper, ginger, garlic, mush it up, knock it down, and the cold goes away, more often than not. And recently, I know you can spend a great deal of money going to very fancy spas to get the same remedy. But I, that's something I knew when I was three and four and five years old.
1: That's great. So yeah. that's, Wonderful. And,
2: and more so, more so. I mean, but, but a big component is self-expression, which is in combination with, uh g- self-analysis and self-assessment which is part of meditation you know
1: yeah um well you're describing yourself as a hippie and um uh, you were married at 19 you shared and um your daughter pia um i'm guessing was born in the late 70s early 80s
2: no she was born in the early 70s and if you talk to her she will tell you i'm much more useful than i might be chronologically but (laughs) you talk to my daughter She's a very effective uh, uh, MFT, she's a therapist, okay,
0: yeah, nice. and
2: uh, she specializes, well, she has a vast constituency, but she specializes in younger women, okay. and she points to me and says, I broke ground with my mother, I brought her up very well, and I, I actually take that vow, because um, her growing up and my growing up were kind of a collaboration,
1: yeah. Okay. But well, it's, it's, uh, thank you for sh- saying it, phrasing it that way. And then sharing that, uh, that's, that's, it's really thoughtful. I mean, uh, parenting when done from an engaged, uh authentic um uh, standpoint is always um you know we we see the world again through their eyes and so we grow at the same time in similar ways so uh, i'm finding that to be extraordinarily rewarding
2: i know you're a rock star dad i love when you talk about your children it's one of the most curious kind of things between us it's really touching thank
1: you thank you very much for that um Let's talk about some of your uh, experiences as a writing coach. Um, when did that start? Because you've had just great success at it and I know you, you still do that.
2: Yeah, um, again, my mandate to have people seen and heard mm. um, has caused me early on to jump into groups and just make people express themselves. Um, there are many stories about different modalities, but uh, in getting people to express themselves on occasion, the self-expression is really um, marketable. Yeah. And I don't falsely encourage, but I do encourage people creating products. So in my, in between producing, you know, when I write and I direct to, you know, when you can't find a writer director that you can get for cheap, you hire yourself, right? So you just <laughs> make things happen. I, I'm going to sidestep a second producing for me is finding something you love or creating something you love and putting it forth to society in an atmosphere of economic, mm. creative, and uh, shall we say psychological security. So mm. if you got the dough yeah. and you got the content and you have the good vibes then you have a shot at that stuff. So back to I would stumble upon people who had things to say and I'd say well make a play mm. or write a little movie, although I started more with, write a book about your journey. Mm. Um, some have turned into one man shows. I'll tell you a couple of, you know, in the last number of years of my favorite credits. Please. Um, a man named Billy Hayes, right. who was arrested in 1970 with hashish on his body, some idiotic college kid. He ended up five years in a hardcore prison in, in uh, Istanbul escaped in a way that is not in the iconic movie that memorializes his life, supposedly, called Midnight Express. Um, Anyway, he had quite a lot to say. And by the way, he and I are very aligned because yoga and writing are two things we share. I met him in yoga class and he said, writing saved his life. He wrote a book about his experiences, which were made into a movie. But in recent years in yoga class, he would say, well, going back to 2013, he said, you know, that movie didn't tell my true story. I'd like to tell my true story and he'd written some books and I said well let's do a one-man show so not now because of the virus but since 2013 we've been everywhere from um, Wellington New Zealand to um, Beirut uh, yeah in Lebanon with this show it's very interesting interesting. we've been to countries where drugs and booze are verboten but they don't mind hearing a story well it's a story of personal revelation and restoration. Mm, so yeah. that became a, a real commodity. And um, uh, another random favorite, a magnificent woman named Margot Jefferson, who has a Pulish, Pulitzer Prize and a PhD. Mm. And she is an African American woman from Chicago, from a very fancy family. Uh, she became the culture critic of the New York Times. But she lived in a conundrum of her place in the universe because of the color of her skin, mm-hmm. you know, forget her replete cultural background. So she needed to make a statement. And even though she's not an actor, she create, we created, I helped her to create a one woman show called 60 Minutes in Negro Land. Wow. And it was one of my favorite things I ever did. It morphed. She, we had the opportunity to perform at many places, but she said, Barbara, let's face it, I'm a writer so that morphed into "Negro Land," a memoir which was for a very long time a New York Times bestseller and really revelatory about that aspect of the human condition um but uh but I love I love doing that and uh the recently the the late Gail Sheehy Mm -hmm. a cultural rock star who wrote passages and what, nine or 10 other best-selling books, all reflections of how we were growing in society. Um, I supported her writing plays, which is, you know, writing in one medium doesn't necessarily translate to writing in another. But she wrote a very touching piece, uh, a very, a beautiful piece about her husband, Clay Felker, who was New York Magazine. So right. you know, Miss Culture married New York Magazine. He was dying of cancer. She was his caregiver, and she wrote this beautiful piece exploring that dynamic. And it was performed mostly for charity by Jill Clayburgh and Edward Herman, two distinguished actors with a lot of um, awards. Now everybody's gone. But anyway, these are some of the things that I really embrace. And then there's a therapist in Santa Barbara who's writing a rock star book about you know, new marriages and just, it's just it's again, somebody has something to say, let's find the medium for it yeah. and make it into a product, if it's worthy. If it's not worthy, I'm very happy to say to people, you know, I also democratize language. So come to a workshop, you know, write your brains off and you'll feel better, right?
1: Absolutely. That, no, that's, that's superb.
2: I will always be open to helping people. The coaching is very important to
1: me. No, that's wonderful. It's a great, uh, you know, being in the service of others is clearly a theme throughout your your life, Barbara. And it's just it's great that uh, you bring that to to the world and the universe. Um, I'd love for you to share a little bit your thoughts on uh, you know the one-person performance as as an art form. You um, know, I, I just it feels like it's very rigorous, very challenging to be the only person on the stage, and writing for that is is. You know, you have to carry the, the entire show, where then there aren't any other actors or characters to be bouncing off of or doing exposition or, or, or moving the narrative along. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on
2: it. Well, um, I cut my teeth in that world. Okay. Uh, I mean, Ruth Draper, way before my time and maybe even my parents' time, although they weren't in America to experience her, was credited with doing the first one-woman shows, or one-person shows of any stature. But moving along my era, I met a mad wigged out dude called Eric Bogosian, who's Mm -hmm. from Boston, Armenian heritage, and a brilliant man in many, many ways. And uh, he was doing these raps, these, di- these dialogues with himself on stage. So, and down in the holes in the wall in New York City post-college. And um, I managed him for a while, which is not my favorite thing to do, but you know, he really, he needed some support and I adored him and thought he was genius. So um, he got to the public theater, which is the bastion of important theater in America, still is, but certainly was when Joseph Papp was alive. You know, he was the one person that everyone knew worldwide synonymous with theater as much as Shakespeare. So, and he created the Shakespeare Festival in New York. Anyway, Eric um, developed a persona, which was a little bit Pee Wee Herman and a little bit Lenny Bruce. And he called himself Ricky Paul, and he had something called the Ricky Paul Show, which was very wigged out. But it soon morphed into different um, scenarios about, human nature and he had a show called men inside and one called drinking in america he was hot as a pistol and when he really hit it he was rarefied air there were not too many one-man shows and then the floodgates opened and one-man shows came from all walks people who had something to say which i advocate whether or not they were performers um people who were famous performers who wanted to take the stage on their own anyway it's you know it's a one-man show these days can be anything from a TED Talk right. to a highly theatricalized moment on stage where a really skilled actor will make you think there are other people on stage. You, hmm. Even in a bare stage, a great hmm. actor will make you real, feel that there are, you know, there, there, there's scenery. There's wind, you know, there's sounds that you're not even hearing, So, but it's, it's quite open. So, um, so it's, it's ebbed and flowed, and it was getting a little glutted, and some of the work wasn't really great, honestly, but I still advocate people expressing themselves if they're not worried about making any money at it, right? <laughs> or if they're not worried about financing their own one-man shows, and from time to time, someone hits. Sometimes it's because they're, um, they have something brilliant to say, And often it's because they've been lucky, really, Mm -hmm. honestly. Um, Right story at the right time, meeting the right producer, what have you, or having the right tenacity Mm -hmm. or the right guts. Uh, But uh, nowadays I'm seeing something else because we've reverted to this weird Zoom existence. I think that the one-person show is going to come back full flog in force. I did reference the TED Talk as a kind of one-person show. The thing about the TED Talks is they tend to be short. You know, they can be, the TEDx's can be 12 minutes, six minutes, the full-blown, they're not more than an hour. And an hour is about the shortest that you can really have for a one-person show in a legit theater. But with Zoom, who knows? And there are many, well, Billy Hayes can't go on the road right now, but we're about to Zoom his show as a um, fundraiser for a, a drug rehab center because he's that's a great, great proselytizer about that because of his bad boy b- beginnings. But um, th- there's a lot of opportunity. So, mm-hmm. um, And I love the medium. And I'm not a huge director, but I'm thrilled to direct one person,
1: Yeah,
2: beca- to, 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 to maximize the words that I've made them write from their own minds, so, well, so that's it. Yeah.
1: That's really the brilliance of your directing ability because these are non-actors. Mm-hmm. That you've
2: Uh, uh, actors yeah
1: yeah, but you've created this form of expression for them and the I mean the shows have been really popular, so uh, that says a lot about your ability to direct
2: Barbara. Thank you. That's very that's very (laughs) sweet of you. I like to think that one of the one of I worked with a photographer in Italy, who expressed himself in many media. He's passed away. Actually, he became quite ill, and he went to a Lakota tribe. To get mm-hmm. healing, which extended his life. His name was Marco Ridomi. Mm-hmm. And Marco Ridomi from Florence um, was a very, he expressed himself in many ways. And when he met me, I encouraged a lot of his work. He ended up going far from the spoken word and ended up creating remarkable photographic images of the Lakota, which wow. I sell to this day to raise money for um, Native American you know poverty and what have you anyway um the um uh, the thing about him i get well wait a minute restate your question because i'm it's it's, it's complicated go restate your question so that i can properly answer it i'm sorry
1: no 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 it's okay well we were talking about um the
2: uh, non-actor, the non-actor. Yeah, yeah.
1: D- yeah, your skill as a director, getting these non-actors to perform yeah. in a way that has been so popular. And-
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was, I was, um, I, I was expanding my chain of thought so much as not losing it. You know, um, you know, it's, it, some people are extremely charismatic and they can hold an audience. Right. Just every person is different yeah. and every person being allowed to express himself Um, will have a different vibe and a different um, delivery. I mean, I was an actress when I was a kid. And now when I write, um, I'm very happy to record, if I slow down my language, (laughs) some of my beautiful words and words of others who are reticent to read. But I don't really have an impulse to be in front of people to tell my story. Some people have a burning impulse. And you know what? If you don't ask, you don't get. Try it and then see what happens.
1: So, well, so about, I think, yeah. I think you're also very gifted at identifying talents and where people's strengths are. And so uh, I think that uh, that also plays a big part of this.
2: Well, I will say, Marco Redomi, who's ended up raising even posthumously wonderful amounts of money for the American Indian College Fund, etc., which is a mandate of mine, run by a very good friend of mine. Um, uh, he, once said to me, and I, 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 I go red, but then I say it because I really have to stand in my own power. He said I was a magic person. Mm-hmm. And at that moment in time for him, I was a magic person. And I have had many magic people in my life, but I stand in that power. So, you know, I sprinkle my magic where I can. It's not <laughs> welcome everywhere and it's not effective everywhere, but you know, stick my neck out a little bit and I have a very rich, rich life. Um, I would like to address shift poetry a little bit because that's well,
1: in fact I was sort of building my next question as you're talking so that's uh, that's exactly where I want to go um, and spend uh, the balance of our time there because I, I think it's fascinating that it was actually your writing coach activity that connected you with Howard and that uh, launched shift poetry so share with us how that all came to be.
2: Well very um, succinctly um, I practice kundalini yoga every day of my life and uh, you know you you at least come from a culture where that's a householder practice but you know the american version of it in any case it's about meditation and breathing and chilling out and focusing so i love it and um i have i'm very senior in that world but i fall in love with different teachers and one of my teachers was this amerasian sh- person woman she was a, a war child during vietnam mm. and um She was born in Vietnam and never had gone back, and then, you know, I'd know about her when I'd take class or be in her circle. And she's, I'd gone back to Vietnam and found that magical. So long and short, I encouraged her, and so did others, to take a group of kundalini practitioners to Vietnam. So 18 or 20 people who didn't really know each other, except from afar, faces in a classroom, were put together and I ended up getting buddied up with this man named Howard Kern, you know, a big, robust, charming, uh, nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn who had done well as a corporate attorney uh, out in Pacific Palisades. Um, We were the only two real vegetarians on the trip and we kept getting thrown together like, there's a there's a great repast for everybody over there and there are carrots and potatoes <laughs> for Barbara and Howard. So we kept getting thrown together and there are other anecdotes about being thrown together, but I noticed early on that he was on his handheld, typing away, and I'd I learned a little bit about him because of chat over meals. And I said, are you writing briefs from, you know, um, Hanoi? And he said, he said, no, he said, um, I've had some bad things happen in the last few years of my life. I became ill. I lost my best friend to Lou Gehrig's disease, and then a whole spate of people to cancer, including my very young mother. And, uh, my coping mechanism is to find a place where I'm hurting and start there and write myself out of that negative place into a positive place. Amazing. And, um, so I've been writing healing poetry. For two, three years now, I also became a vegetarian, I became a yogi, I lost 50 pounds, you know, all this, (laughs) you know, transformational stuff. And for me, I know he found his uh, spiritual self. I know it was always there, because he's pretty religious Jewish. I mean, he's, he's a man of great spirituality, even if he didn't know he was. So um, then he said, I heard through the grapevine that you um, coach writers, and you've helped people publish. And I said, sometimes, yeah. And he said, well, can I make a coffee table book out of my spiritual poetry? And I read his poetry and it was lovely. It was uneven, but beautiful. And, um, and I said, you know what? You can make a very expensive copy and sell it to your friends and your family. Um, poetry books are very hard to market, but I have an idea. Because you're doing something I've done all my life, but you're doing it more formally. You're writing yourself well. I have been working with Vietnam vets to get rid of PTSD with homeless women, to cope with the fact that they may have been battered and they're on the street with children, but there is hope. After 9-11, I coached firefighters, cops and first responders who saw Mm. horrific stuff. So I've been encouraging people to do that writing to open their hearts and not just be heard, but feel better. I said, but you're doing it in a way that's systematized and I like it. So two weeks into the trip, it seemed like everyone was watching what Barbara and Howard were doing, and we were all writing this stuff, it's eventually morphed into what we now called shift poetry. We said, improve your life one stanza at a time, Mm. Uh, or write yourself healthy, happy, and whole. So um, I did not coach him into publishing that, having that book published, but I did coach him into writing a book that's coming out later this year called Walking with Kerry. And it is, he will talk about it, but it's about a journey he had with his friend who died of ALS and gracefully so that when Howard had his own cancer, he was able to be graceful because he saw someone in terrible shape be a prince till the end. So his princely fashion and his writing himself well, he's very well right now. So that's a nice thing. That's what shift poetry is about. And I think it's somewhat clear, I hope. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and I've uh, had the distinct privilege of being able to participate in some of these sessions, and I've absolutely loved it. And um, now you've um, uh, kind of uh, amalgamated some of the works, and you've put books out with uh, participants' works, maybe share about that.
2: Yes, I certainly will. Um, So a few months into our, so this We connected, and the Jews call it beshert, but it was synchronicity that he and I would meet, and I think we might have been, we're kind of soulmates. You can have more than one soulmate, but we generally, we we genuinely are connected from somewhere. Anyway, uh, a few months in, you know, we invited people to do this, this mechanism, and uh, they started to support us, and we were supported economically, flown from LA to Massachusetts, to spend a weekend with higher level marketing and branding people. I mean, people who created, you know, in the old days, you deserve a break today at McDonald's. The late Murray Bruce, in fact, was really our guardian angel, my guardian angel. And uh, that's how the term shift poetry evolved, which we trademarked because Howard's an attorney, and some of the other buzz phrases and what have you. And just a wonderful things started to happen, um, encouraging us to go forward and, um, so um we started doing workshops again what would the focus of the question be because I can riff about this but I'd like yeah, to know
1: it, it just it, it, the because of the pandemic it went from in person workshops we oh, went oh, online no, and then you published a book with the uh, participants so, work
2: yeah excuse me for being a little distracted watching yeah. these, oh anyway um So, uh, so we're getting a lot of support and one of my publishing friends, because I'm in that world, said you should publish a book, a manual, shift poetry, the how to, you know, Mm -hmm. and so we started working on it. And as we did more and more workshops, we refined the content. And we were, you know, two years, in, well, year and a half in, we thinking it's time to publish something, and then the pandemic came. And suddenly these beautiful circles in centers, in my living room, at the beach, in yoga studios, in libraries, at schools, and, you know, prison outreach, all the stuff we've been doing, suddenly it was all on, the, on this TV and what I call Hollywood Squares. And um, everyone, was right, and, and Howard and I at that point were in our uh, individual homes on the tube. We were quarantined. Everyone was writing about COVID. He and I were the only two who had experienced the the who were ill at the time. Right. Yeah. But um, so we decided to um, you know an homage to um, one of my favorite writers. You know, Love in the Time of Cholera. So oh. we did shift yeah, poetry. Sure in the time of COVID-19. Gabriel yes. Gar- Gar- Garcia Marquez,
1: Gar- he's Gar- a Marquez. phenomenal writer.
2: One of my rocks, of course, everyone's rock star. You know, I'm, I, when I have icons, they're everybody's icons, <laughs> Thich Han, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, although I do know his, one of his sons is really an wow. amazing filmmaker. So we put together shift poetry <laughs> in the time of COVID-19 which you did participate in. Yes, well, we asked you to participate because we encouraged people to write around many subjects having to do with the pandemic. And then we culled in different categories. You know, we married two prompts and you wrote a really profoundly moving piece. So if people buy the book, they can read, um, as seems extremely literary and extremely heartfelt piece. Some pieces were more simplistic. Some people, you know, I mean, we had... First responder nurses writing, yeah. grandmas writing, you know, firefighters writing. Quite a, you know, lawyers, uh, elegant minds. anyway, all fun. <laughs> yeah. No, so, it was... it, oh, so, now, so this book's a bit heavy. So, um, uh, you know, though they are very lighthearted. One of the prompts was uh, imagine your life after COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. and a floral essence gal who does massage therapy and stuff wrote a poem called Flowers, where the whole world would just be bursting with, you know, nasturtiums and roses, which is very, very positive. Yes. But now, um, we continue to do workshops with different themes and, and, and you know, touching on different worlds, and many just uh, just general, you know, general questions. And, but COVID keeps coming up, but now we're having a little bit more of a sense of humor about it, and a sense of you know, exhaustion about it. So we're about to come out with a book called Poetry Without Pants, Writing When No One's Looking. And the <laughs> cover of the book should sell it, but we have some wonderful pieces based on one, just one, one prompt written by a really, you know, from a former football player to an 11-year-old, you know, F- fancy, expressive kid, my grandchild. Uh, <laughs> so that will be coming out very soon. Um, really and great. so, yes, we will come out with uh, Shift Poetry, um, the manual, or the, you know, the, oh, and then, as we keep attracting more people, um, a remarkable man named Jeffrey Hollander, mm-hmm. who had just retired young from MetLife, where he created learning programs, he's an attorney, Okay. and he's he's also very engaged in the lgbtq world. Okay. He created remarkable programs for the insurance company for um special interest programs in all walks but the lgbtq anyway he is a he's an expert distance uh learning coach oh, yeah. and uh, he also knows how to franchise uh, to sell different packages of learning so he's heading up our sort of Franchise and distance learning and we're starting to train people. We have our first six people. So our manual will be published, but right now it's tangible because we're training six people from an 80 year old yoga teacher to a 26 year old mime, male and female, to go into the marketplace and deliver shift poetry. We control Mm. the content because it's not just any old prompt. It's very specific. and I think magical. So anyway, so we're growing, growing, growing. That's the story as it's- that's um, phenomenal, involved.
1: that's great. I'm glad that uh, it's gonna spread. Um, I think that's really a, an astute decision. Um, you've also talked about how you're going to create a, a center. Is that something Oh I'm... yeah,
2: well, yes. Because I guess it's um, visualizing that people can get together again, right? Yeah. We are going to take a, a, a property um up in pacific palisades very near the beach and the north co- coast of california we're going to uh, have a center where people can come in during the day for meditative shift write shift poetry writing you know ancillary activities that all support opening your heart self-expressing and we will for the moment it's not an enormous space we will have occasional um Four-walled, You know, it's it's like a a spiritual bed and breakfast Mm. and where programs can be chosen and experienced by half a dozen people or so at a time. So yeah, that's evolving and it will be in the name of Shift Poetry. It will be a a holistic wellness center. I will say parenthetically that um, I love to travel. Mm. And my mother said the little shy girl who had to tap dance to be heard, right? Um, if a plane slows down next to her, she'll jump on. So I've been all over the world. In fact, we've done shift poetry in the last two years be- before the pandemic. In the last year and a half before the pandemic, we did it all over the world. We did it in Takapuna, New Zealand, and we were in Hedra, Greece. So it's really quite exciting Wonderful. in what I call destination wellness trips. Right. So um, destination wellness to a space in Pacific Palisades where people can open their hearts and just grow. That's a plan. It's not a wish, it's a plan, right? Perfect. Spiriting that into, you know, and along with that, we will be able to get in rooms again together.
1: That's right, yeah, absolutely.
2: Thank you for bringing that up.
1: For sure, yeah,
2: absolutely. I can talk endlessly about a lot of things if they have to do with bettering the human condition. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say that, Uh, if people go, I'm going to be blatant now, if people go on shiftpoetry.com, check on workshop, check on books we have, you know, just to see what we're doing, you know, to partake if possible, but also we're putting more and more poems up, and the poems are literary statements, you know, verbal statements that some of them are more prosy, but also we have Vid, are videoing more and more, and you videoed yourself, videoing people um, reading their own work, and that's very invigorating. Yeah. And I think that it it shows folks that they can do that too. And and by the way, you know, write from the heart for yourself for your family. Video it so you can keep it for posterity, or email it to your cousin in Dubuque. You know, I just think of uh, just you know, self expression self-expression on its feet, it's all very exciting. And dogs, and dogs, yeah. sorry dogs <laughs> in out of the frame. Anyway, let, let us all be, ma- we all have magic within us and we all can catch a little bit of fairy dust if we run around and see it. And, um, you know, and then the hope of the future is our kids and our grandkids and if you don't have any, borrow some or get friendly with them because they are <laughs> such sources of wisdom. Remember the art link letter, kids say the darndest yeah. things, yes. but Eugene, Eugene O'Neill in his epic, brilliant, you know, American theatrical sagas refers to the child we place our hope in forever being mm-hmm. what will save us. So if we place some hope in children and you have beautiful children and I have in my circle too. So that's just another one of my mandates. So shift poetry for kids, right?
1: There we go. Yeah, brilliant. (laughs) Barbara, this has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much.